Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. I just feel like we need to get into the word of the Lord. I need to say a few things before we dismiss tonight, but I just feel while the atmosphere is right, I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of John, chapter 1. I'm going to read one verse there, and then I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 6. And we're just going to camp out in chapter 6 for a little while, and uh, you'll be happy to know I'm not going to take it verse by verse since there are 71 verses. (laughs) But I do believe that the Lord has just caused a little pause in my heart today around this passage of scripture and and I, I if the Lord will just help me amen I said it last Wednesday night we've got all the ingredients mixed together we just need the anointing of the Lord now and he will do that amen the book of the book of John chapter 1 the book of St. John chapter 1 verse 17 for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to try to start the train slow because I realize I've been riding it all day and you're just going to try to thumb a ride and jump on here and so I don't want to just jump in the deep end of the pool, but I want to preach tonight about, I want to talk whatever, ever how it comes out. I want to, I want to speak to you about grace and truth, grace and truth. The law was by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated if you would like. Um, if you will join me now, and, and again, I'm going to say the importance of bringing your Bible to church. Don't get so spoiled to the media. Um, bring your Bible to church, even if it's a digital version. Bring your Bible to church. Um, the book of John chapter 6 and um, everybody alright amen we'll just take a journey here if you consider the first 14 verses of John this is where Jesus talks about or, the, or John records the loaves and the fishes and the miracle When Jesus was teaching and then was faced at the end of the day with feeding a multitude of people. And it was a vast multitude, 5,000 men besides women and children. And so we watched this kind of unfold a little bit. First, the disciples, their initial response is perhaps the best thing to do is just send the people away. They weren't being cold and indifferent Really and truly, it was just logical. 
I mean, we haven't planned for all of this, and, and uh, there's nothing that we could do. And then Philip, bless his heart, tried to figure out how much it would cost if we could just find enough restaurants open. This is about what it would cost to maybe feed the multitude. Then it was Andrew who um, brought up the fact that a young man in the crowd had two fishes and five loaves of bread. Now that was as much information as Andrew could offer because he didn't know what to do beyond that, as would none of us. But he brought it to the Lord, and I think that's the most important thing. He brought the lad and all he had to the Lord. And so Jesus takes the lunch, he breaks the bread, or he really, he first blessed the bread. We don't need to forget that important part. And then he broke the bread, and then he handed it to the disciples, and it was enough to feed the entire crowd. I think it's very important to understand that it was the hands of Jesus that blessed the bread and broke the bread, and I believe it was the hand of the Lord that multiplied the bread. I believe the disciples, and I'm not trying to uh, demean their role in all of this, but they were just couriers of the miracle that God was doing in their midst. So there's a practical lesson here. And um, that practical lesson is that whatever we have, we need to bring that to the Lord and place it in his hands. I, I don't know about everybody. I know that so many times I feel very, very inadequate when it comes to the things I feel like God is asking of me. And I don't think I'm alone here. Tonight, the Lord would ask us to do something and we kind of recoil at that and, and think, well, I don't have this or that or the other. But if I could always just understand the practical baseline lesson of, first, or of the book of John, chapter 6, that if we can just bring what we have, no matter how woefully inadequate it is, against the need, if we can put that in his hands and then just let the Lord do the rest. Life can bring with it many times far more questions than answers. And it seems like the questions come at a more rapid rate than the answers. And often we complain about what we don't have or what we are in need of. Instead, we just ought to thank the Lord for what we do have and then ask him to bless it and Offer it to him. Put it in his hands. If we were to fast forward a little bit more through this chapter, we find in verses 15 through 21 that Jesus turns and he leaves the crowd and he commissions or commands his disciples to get into the boat. And um, I, I, I read something a while back that intrigued me about this particular scene. And so I just want to leave this with you for your consideration Jesus, I believe, recognized the frailty of this moment. The frailty of this moment is that when you read this passage of Scripture verse by verse, that in a moment of time, the men and women that were there present, that were the recipients of this blessing of fish and bread, would have made a superstar out of Jesus, and consequently, there was a potential there that, he could have, that they would have made superstars out of the disciples. And just maybe, just maybe, Jesus recognized the frailty of this moment. 
and he sends them away and he puts them in a ship. But clearly, the scripture says that Jesus did not join them in that ship. Verse 18 introduces us to a storm that was raging in the sea. Very common passage of this particular chapter of John. So the storms brings a few questions to the table and and perhaps one of them is the is the question did the lord know that the storm was coming well i think the answer to that is yes because he's the master of the tempest and he has control of the wind and the waves and so if jesus then if the answer is yes and jesus did know that the storm was coming why would he send his disciples into the storm if he knows that peril is coming i mean i think that this could appear to be the the actions of a God that's not quite as concerned as he puts on that he is at times. But nothing could be further from the truth. Amen. God knows all about us. And he knows exactly where we are. And if I could be specific tonight, he knows exactly where you are. And he cares about the moment that you're living in. Not just the day or the week or the month or the year, but God is concerned with the moment that we are living in. Amen. And so the Lord knew what was coming his way. It was the opinion of a few writers, and this was what intrigued me, is that, that maybe the Lord wasn't trying to send them into a literal storm as much as he was trying to prevent them from heading into a different kind of storm. Because you see, if, they had, if the people had had their way, they would have made a superstar out of Jesus, and I mentioned that, and consequently, his disciples would have been in the overflow of that. And I believe there are times that the Lord catches us by the heels before we get too lifted up. And he just puts our feet back on the ground and reminds us that if we get through this, we're gonna need him to do that. So if I could just pause for a little station identification and tell you tonight that if you ever feel that you need to bring somebody down and bring them back to earth, you're in God's seat. Amen, you're, you're, you've moved God out of the way and that's not your job and it's not mine. Amen, the Lord can pull us. How many of you ever been had the Lord just kind of pull you right back into? <laughs> my mother would say, or my father would say, you're just getting too big for your britches. Is that all right? And they just kind of, a little grounding rod, bring us right back into reality of where we are. Maybe the Lord, maybe this was an act of mercy. I I started saying something a few years ago, not just by habit, but I, I just saw something different about how the, the grace of God works many times. Grace comes in many different packages. Sometimes we think about the word grace and we get warm and fuzzy and, and we think that God's grace is always gonna come in the way of a blessing. But when you read Isaiah 57 and one, where it speaks about, I think, that there's an inference there to premature death because when we think about somebody that's taken out of life or taken out in the, in the very zenith of their life, we think about why, why would that? It doesn't make any sense. But Isaiah said, who knoweth the evil that is to come? You, the Lord knows what's around the corner. I'm not trying to sound too crass here tonight, but, but Hezekiah asked the Lord for 15 more years and that proved to be the ruin of Hezekiah. It would have been so much better off. Amen, I won't be here on this subject very long, so I won't keep you uncomfortable too long, but Hezekiah spiritually and eternally would have been way better off 
had he not asked for that, just give me more time. Just get, Because you see, the Lord knows what he's doing. So sometimes grace is packaged in very, very odd forms. And we wonder that this is the hand of God's judgment. But in fact, it could have been God's mercy. Maybe the Lord was going to use this storm to bring a little sense of balance to their lives. And, and I think often the Lord does allow things to come our way to just kind of keep us in balance and keep us in check because we have a, a tendency sometimes to get real intoxicated on things that we shouldn't be intoxicated on. Amen. They had decided, I mean, you know, let's just put ourselves in their position. They were, you know, the songwriter says, I was there when it happened. And I guess I ought to know. And as people are asking them to repeat the story of this miracle, I mean, we're talking about people that still got the, has the crumbs of the bread on their garment. And, and I was there when it happened. And, and you can be so closely associated sometimes to things that after a while, you, they may have begun to think that it was their hands that was the provision. It was their hands that was working it, it, it all out. And sometimes if we are not careful, we can begin to think that it's us. We are the steam behind everything that, that's going on. But I, I know that God has the ability sometimes just to bring us right back down to earth. Amen. We have all been there. If you haven't been there, I'm not trying to be negative tonight, but just hang on. And the Lord can let us see just how important it is that we depend on him. They were there when it happened. They had to face storms in their life and, and learn to trust the Lord more. The feeding of, of the 5,000, I would say, was a teaching moment. Amen, that was a, a teaching moment. I wanna show you something about what, uh, I'm not talking about card tricks or I'm not just talking about trying to entertain the truths, but it certainly was a, a teaching moment. But the storm was a testing moment. Now God is, uh, has taken all of us through teaching moments, but he's also taken us through testing moments. Amen, life is filled with those seasons of teaching and seasons of testing and, and storms are just part of the journey that we call life. Amen. Sometimes we are in the storm because we disobeyed the Lord. That's happened to me and it has certainly happened to others. Maybe Jonah is a good example of this and Jonah's standing there. He's confessing. He's telling them, if you'll get rid of me, you'll get rid of all of your problems because he knew he was walking in disobedience. But sometimes we are facing storms and it has nothing to do with obedience. As a matter of fact, we're facing sometimes storms because we are walking in where the Lord wants us to walk. We're walking in his obedience. I'm not trying to speak with a fork of tongue tonight, but it's the absolute truth. Sometimes the storms are to get us back in check and sometimes the storms are to keep us where we are because we are in the divine will of God. So when Jesus and Peter step back into the ship, amen, you know about him walking on the water and, and all that happened there, but when they step back onto the ship, the storm was stilled according to scripture. Amen. One other thing that became apparent to me today as I just consider this passage of scripture is that all of these miracles, Jesus walking on the water, Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water, and then when his doubt overtook him, the Lord saved him from a near-death experience, and then they both got back in the water, and then when they got back into the ship, the storm ceased. Now, there's a lot of miraculous things that just happened right there, enough that we probably ought to be running around this building right now, but I get it. But one thing that I thought about today is all of this happened at night. Nobody was there. 
but the players involved. <laughs> There's not throngs of people standing on the seashore saying, would you look at that? He's walking on the waves. Somebody elbowing their neighbor and saying, look, I believe Simon Peter is considering getting out of the boat. He's getting out of the boat. All of this happened in the stillness of the night. Only Jesus knew, only his disciples knew. Now, I think there are some things that God does in our lives that is both for the world to see and for the world to hear about. I think God does some miraculous things and they should be testimonies that we share everywhere we go. But I also believe that the Lord has, I'll speak for myself tonight, I believe that the Lord has given me things before that was just between us. It was really not something, Brother Williams, to be shared with the rest of the world. It, it's not because of, of the sensitive nature of it. It was just something that God was doing for me. It was, I, I'm not sure that makes sense to everybody, but there are just some things that God has shown me. There are some things that God has done for me that I have never felt the liberty to talk about those things. Amen. I just feel like that was something the Lord just gave me, and so I'm just going to hold on to that. Amen. There's a common thread I think you can find when you read through the, through the Gospels and that is that we can often find Jesus trying to avoid large crowds. He wasn't a man trying to just draw people to himself. He wasn't all about the fanfare. There were no big billboards announcing his ministry. It wasn't that he was, ever, he was never trying to draw attention to himself or even draw attention to what he was doing in the lives of certain people. He healed at times and then admonish them to go and tell no one. Amen. He just, th this is between us. Just go and tell no one. And, and, and maybe Jesus was keenly aware of the fact that, that people would be quick to follow him if it's just going to be about fishes and loaves. If this is just going to be about the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and the dead being raised to life and the lame being able to walk straight again, then they're going to be following me for all the wrong reasons. I recently read an article of, I say recently, it's been probably a, over a year ago now, I suppose, but I was reading about a, a, a very, very famous man, if I were to call his name, I think both young and old would recognize his name, who had a very tumultuous relationship, not only with his children, but with his grandchildren. And one of the things that he always feared, and he came to admit this at the very closing hours of his life, one of the things that he always feared was the fact that his children and grandchildren really didn't love him for him. And that they were just in love with the trinkets and the toys that his fame and fortune would just trickle down and by default bless them. And I think to some degree Jesus was saying, I want us to just keep this among ourselves because I don't want this to be about fishes and loaves. I don't want this to be about that because there has always been and I suppose always will be a signs and miracles and wonder crowd. Amen. But Jesus would, was wanting people to follow him for the fact of being in love with him. Amen. Not what he could do. I, I've heard it said many times that if the Lord never blessed me again, he's blessed me enough. Now that's a big, big mouthful. 
Amen. If the Lord has never blessed me, if he never touches me again, if he never does, he's already done enough. I understand the sentiment of that. And really and truly, we should feel that way because God has done so much in our lives. And the Lord doesn't want us to be here tonight. If you have a need in your life, I believe that he can meet that need. But I don't want to just show up tonight with my hand out. I don't want to just show up with my hand out. I want to show up with my hand up and say, I'm here tonight to worship you. I'm here tonight to love you and magnify your name. He's always desired people to follow him for the sake of following him. And so we should never be deceived by the popularity of Jesus Christ among certain kinds of people because very few, and I'm not being cynical, but I just feel like the Holy Ghost wants to speak something to our heart tonight. Amen. Very few people in this world want him as a savior and a Lord. Most people want him as a healer and provider. If you'll just answer my prayer when I need you, if you'll just do that when I need it, if you'll just do the other when I need that, amen, they're more interested in the Lord being a healer, a provider, just a clerk behind the counter, just run back there behind the curtain, get whatever it is I need and pop back out here with it, amen. But God is looking for people who want him to be their savior and their Lord, amen. Scores of people, scores of people only want the Lord long enough for him to save them from their problems that have created perhaps have been created by their own actions or by their own decisions and if the Lord can just cure this if the Lord can just fix this Amen I've watched this happen so many, many, many times through the years Lord if you'll just fix this situation and the Lord just steps on the scene and when all the dust settles after a while the fervor the passion with which they followed after the Lord just a few months ago seems to wane away because it seems like everything is solved over here. Solutions have been met. Amen, I've shared this many times. It was probably one of the very first encounters that my wife and ever had with something of this nature, I suppose, early, early on in our ministry of a young man who laid gravely, gravely ill terminally ill in a hospital bed who told almost everyone who walked in the hospital to pray for him, if the Lord will raise me from this bed, I will serve him every day of the rest of my life. Now I know that God knows everything and he certainly knows the sincerity of our heart. I'm not questioning anything about this, but it was just a it was just a moment that has my, my wife and I have talked about it so many times through the years of how bold and courageous he was with those words and how loose those words and how easily they came. If God will heal me, I will serve him every day of my life. And I can tell you tonight that God did indeed turn that situation around and healed him. And when that man walked out of the hospital, I'm not sure he has ever walked into a church. Amen, I say, Lord, I would be so afraid. Amen, I'm not just gonna be afraid to wake up tomorrow, but I'm certainly gonna be afraid to wake up in judgment. I don't want the Lord to just hold my hand long enough to get me through some crisis in my life. But I wanna, as we sing the song, fall in love with Jesus. I wanna fall in love with him again and again and again. I must, I must fall in love with him. In verses, beginning at verse 22, we find Jesus doing a lot of teaching. As a matter of fact, I feel very comfortable to say that, that Jesus was doing some very, very revelatory preaching and teaching in the remainder of this chapter. 
And I think that we should always understand that God is not exclusively in the miracle working business. Now, please don't misunderstand me. And for for heaven's sake, don't misquote me and think that I don't believe in miracles. I certainly believe in miracles, preach miracles, been a recipient of many miracles in my life, and I feel confident that there's another miracle or two that God is gonna work in my life. Amen, I'm, so I'm not saying that, but God is not exclusively in the miracle working business. Amen, most often when God is at work and he's doing something, he's not doing something for the sake of doing something, he's trying to teach us something. I think that message is abundantly clear at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, the very first miracle of the Lord. The miracle that the Lord was trying to do that day was not trying to save embarrassment for a family who had run out of wine. Amen, he was trying to reveal himself to those who were there, amen. And so when Jesus is working, he's not just working to try to bedazzle his creation, amen, he's trying to teach us something. So I'm gonna go back to my text real quick, amen, John 1 and 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I think that we should see the, the miracle of all of this was not fishes and loaves. The miracle was not dead being raised to life. The miracle was not blinded eyes open or deaf ears unstopped. But the miracle was that we are seeing grace and truth in action. Amen. In grace, Jesus fed the hungry multitude, but in truth, he taught them the word of God. Amen. I'm going to tell you tonight that we can attend all of the meetings that we can possibly fit into our schedule. But can I tell you, not because I'm the one holding the microphone, but nothing will take the place of what we're doing here tonight. Amen. We're just studying the word of God. We're just looking into the word of God, into these wonderful, measureless truths. They're timeless. Amen. They didn't just apply to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. They didn't just apply to Noah. They didn't just apply to Moses, but they apply to you and I tonight sitting in this house. Amen. Now, I believe that God is wanting to touch our hearts again. Amen. He's wanting us to warm our hands and our heart over his word because his word is what's going to change our lives. They wanted, and I would even say needed food. They wanted and they needed grace, amen, but they did not want the truth. Just, just give me the fish and the loaves, wrap it up in a to-go box. Thank you very much. I've had all I want because when Jesus transitioned from the grace and started teaching, something started happening. And that's not just my opinion. I believe that's proven in Scripture when you read the end of the chapter. In the end, most of them had abandoned him. Amen. He lost his crowd over just one sermon. <laughs> if you're just one bad sermon away from being out of business, that's a lot of pressure to operate under. Amen. So I'd appreciate your prayer. No doubt some of the people that have been fed simply went about their daily activities. Maybe they were just part of the peripheral crowd. They were a part of the miracle. They were a, part of, a, a recipient of that. But obviously others stayed to see what Jesus was going to do next. And it's here, it's where if we could just use an old saying, the rubber starts meeting the road. Right here, right here. 
To be sure the word of God is always going to create a response. It always creates a response. I'd never walk to this pulpit without understanding the fear of what's about to happen when we open the book. What's about to happen for everybody in this room is that we're gonna draw a little bit closer to God or we're gonna withdraw a little bit further from God because the word of God demands a response. There will, the word of God doesn't demand a response. Let me correct that. The word of God creates a response. We're gonna move one way or the other. Amen. So we watch them now in these verses begin to respond to the words of Jesus. John 6 and 26, the Bible says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You didn't just come to watch somebody else get their need met. You didn't just come to rejoice over the fact that somebody else was healed or something miraculous. You came, I mean, Jesus just called their hand. I mean, this is just kind of straight, straight talk, right, right off the hip. And Jesus said, you didn't come, you didn't come because of the miracles. You came because you did eat of the loaves and you were filled. Jesus let them know that they were just following him for what they could get. Amen. So he somewhat rebuked them. I would consider that a rebuke if the Lord were saying that to me. John 6 and 27, Jesus says, labor not for the meat which perisheth. Amen. He said, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting. He Don't follow me for something that's going to rot and be gone. He said, if you're going to follow me, you need to get a hold of something that's going to be eternal. Grab that and pull that into your life. In verses 22 through 40, they are trying to figure out how to do the works of God. Just tell us what we got to do. Give us the hoops to jump through. Show me the boxes to check off. Show me the line to sign on. Amen, just, just tell me how I need to do the works of God to which Jesus said, the work of God is to believe on him that sent me. This is not about doing something. This is not about a checklist. This is not about a little laundry list that we gotta check off. But this is about having faith in the one that sent me. I'm telling you tonight that if you married someone just so they would earn you a living or you married someone so they would cook your supper and wash your clothes, you're in it for the wrong reason. Jesus said, amen, if you wanna try to figure out how to do the works of me, the work of God, is to believe. Believe on him that sent me. Believe on the mission of why we are here. It was at this point they began to ask Jesus for a sign. Then they reminded him, as though he needed to be reminded, but they didn't know who they were talking to. They reminded him that Moses had given their fathers a sign. He said, which They said, which was manna in the wilderness. To this, Jesus told them, he just kind of corrected things. Let me let me let me let you pause right here. It wasn't Moses that gave your fathers the manna, but it was God who gave your fathers manna. So let's just get this straight right out of the gate. Amen. This is a pretty direct conversation. Amen. It was God that provided the manna, and He provided that manna on a daily basis. And so to this they said to Jesus, "You give us bread." I mean. Moses gave bread to prove, so why don't you give some bread? And so Jesus pointed out that there were two kinds of food. There was food for the body, which was necessary, but that's not the most important thing. 
And then he started talking about food for the inner man or the spirit. And that was what's essential for eternal life. And so in verse number 41, the Jews murmured because Jesus referred to himself as bread. Amen. And this is where things start running off the rails at a very, very rapid rate. These Jews wanted to sign. And so if Jesus, if you're truly sent by God, then I want you to, to, to do something. Bedazzle me. Show me something. Impress me. Jesus again let them know this, this Moses you're talking about you got this wrong it was God that did all this and he was letting them know you need to get your eyes off of Moses and get your eyes on the Lord and then he clearly identified that he was the true bread that came down from heaven amen in verses 44 through 51 Jesus used two, two very key words that often appear in this in this dissertation, he uses the word come and he uses the word believe. Amen, he uses that more than one time. Now, when he's talking about believing, he's not just talking about an intellectual thing. Amen, giving some you know, mental assent to some uh, word of the Lord or some doctrinal point. But what the Lord was saying, you need to come and you need to yield yourself to me. You need to give me yourself to come to Christ. To believe on him means to receive him within. Amen. Just like you would receive food or just like you would receive water. That's why the Lord said to Ezekiel, you see the word of God? He said to eat it. Am I in the book? Amen. He told Ezekiel, eat the word of God. He wasn't talking about for him to chew up that, uh, that scroll, but he was saying, you've got to get this in you. This is not an intellectual ascent somewhere that you're going to just try to get your head wrapped around a few facts and figures, but you've got to get this word in your heart. It's got to be in your inward parts. Amen. That's why what David was meaning when he said, I want to hide thy word within my heart that I might not sin against thee. I don't want to just memorize it. I don't want to just memorize it for the sake of being able to recall it. I got to get it in my heart. Amen. It's got to be. I understand the importance of having it in our mind, but if it's only in our mind and not in our heart, then we can re, we can re, we can override what's in our mind. We can override our knowledge, but when something is in your heart, when your flesh tries to get you to go against that, there's something bigger inside of you that says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't go there. Amen. And so we come and we yield ourselves to come to Christ. Amen. Just like whatever we would ingest. Amen. So it's it, it's it's also in verses forty one through fifty one that that we read this this uh, very old testament word. It's a word called murmur. <laughs> When Jesus said in John 6 and 38, somewhere around there, when Jesus said, he said, I am come down from heaven, this troubled these religious leaders because this really kind of went against the grain of, of their philosophy and their religious ideals, amen, because they recognized when somebody says, I am come down from heaven, they understood that to be a terminology or a phrase of deity which in fact it was but they missed the entire point 
They thought they knew this man that was standing in front of them and they thought that they even knew him so well that they knew where he came from because among them in these scriptures you can say, you can hear where somebody is, read where somebody is saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's son? I mean, I thought I smelt sawdust. Isn't this the carpenter's boy? And he is the one that's saying, I have ascended down and I'm gonna tell you that their righteous, their self-righteous, should I say, indignation was stirred. Amen, because they said, we think we know who you are and we think that you're just Joseph's son and we think that you're just Mary's son. The main issue on the table here is where did you come from? Five times Jesus said in this, I have come down from heaven. I have come down from heaven. If you think that hung in their throat one time, just think about the second time and think about the next time that he said, I have come down from heaven. But no matter how many times he said it, they would not accept it. So I suppose this is what it all came down to. The crowd wanted to see something. But Jesus had a greater desire and that was for them to learn something. I understand the value of seeing something. But there are times you just have to learn something. School is much more fun. The day passes by a whole lot faster when you're doing and not just learning. I don't know if they still do this, but I remember dissecting a frog in ninth grade. It grossed the girls out, but us guys thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But you see, you can't always be seeing something. Every now and then, you got to stop and learn something. Amen. And so the crowd wanted to see something, but Jesus said, I need you to learn something. Sometimes people are drawn to churches for various reasons. Maybe it's the music or programs or whatever it is. But you see, the Lord really wants us to fall in love with him. You can't fall in love with the house of God. What we really need to do is fall in love with the God of the house. Amen. If you just fall in love with the house of God, you'll pick everything apart. But if you fall in love with the God of the house, amen, that's what really matters because you can't take this house of God home with you tonight. Amen. But we can take the God of the house home with us. We can't take this building. We can't pry it away from its foundation and place it piece by piece in our vehicle and reset it up or erect it in our own backyard or front yard tomorrow for our own uh, for our own sake. But we can take the God of this house. Amen. I'm glad today. Amen. I love the church. Don't get me wrong. And I love this church. I love this building. I love to come here. I love to be in this building. I love to be here not just for church. I enjoy working around the building inside and outside. I love there's something special. A lot of good memories here. Amen. For a lot of us but I'm going to tell you tonight I don't want to be so in love with the brick and mortar that I forget to be in love with the God of the brick and mortar that's what it all comes down to amen 
because it is by the word, it is by the word that we see God and we, and it's in that that we receive the faith to come and to trust him. Romans 10, 17 says that so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the word of God. God chose the foolishness of preaching. We can't figure all that out. I mean, we can't understand how we can get up and talk about the scripture and the Lord can let as it did on the day of Pentecost when Simon began to just get up and preach. They were pricked. The Bible says now when they heard this, amen, they were pricked in their heart and said, men and brethren, what must we do? What can we do? Show me the way. Show me the way. Amen, there's just something about that preached word of God. Verses 52 through 59, we find these people, the scripture now moves from the word murmur and the scripture moves to the word striving. They strove, the scripture says. It means to fight and quarrel. They were fighting over the message that Jesus was teaching because Jesus was teaching, and if you read this, it's a, if you just read it, just word for word, he's talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And so here are these Jews so caught up in their Jewish mindset, unaware that the Messiah is standing there. Amen, unaware of that, all they can think about is the law of Moses. The law of Moses which prohibited all the things that he's talking about doing. They missed what he was trying. This is the same people had breadcrumbs. Amen. Same people still had the smell of fish on their breath. Because they were in to the seeing, but when it came to the teaching, when it came to the teaching, so they're so caught up in how the law would prohibit this and they missed. I don't, I don't even think the Lord was talking about communion here. He was just making a point that you've got to take me like food and drink within your body and, it, and, it, and I need to become a part of you and you a part of me. That innermost, that intimate relationship with the Lord. I want to tell you something. I believe that he ought to be our personal savior. So in verses 63, he made it clear that he was not speaking in literal terms. He was just using a human analogy to convey a spiritual truth. And this was no less than what he did with many others in, in, the, in the scripture. He did this with Nicodemus. He, how can I be born again? How can I be born when I'm old? He did this with the woman of the well. To the Samaritan woman of the well, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. He was just making a spiritual application from a very natural thing that all of these people could relate to. And so I want to try to come in tonight and, and, and draw this to a conclusion. From verses 60 to 71, we start seeing this great exodus. And I want you to please, please, please listen. You see, the Lord's teaching was not hard to understand, but it was really hard to accept once you understand it. I want to say that again. It's not hard to understand the teaching of the Lord because it's the truth. And so what we're teaching is not an apostolic bent on the Holy Scripture. We're just teaching the Word of God. And so that's why anybody that is open to the Spirit of God 
revealing into their heart and life who he really is, he will reveal himself to whosoever will. The absolute truth. I've never been more sober, nor, nor do I feel like I've ever been more serious behind this desk than I am right now. It is very much the same today as it is in John 6. I've watched a lot of people come to the knowledge of the truth. That's not real difficult because it is God's word. And when you begin to read God's word, it's just right there. I don't know how many times through the years people have told me and my wife and many of you have experienced very, very similar testimonies of people saying, you know what? I've never seen Jesus' name baptism, but now I see it and everywhere I look, there it is in scripture. It's all confirmed. I've never never known about the oneness of the Godhead, but you know what? Now all the scriptures that I've always taught and read and all that I've ever had, now I look and I see that the oneness of God, it truly is, amen, God manifested in the flesh, amen. And so it's not really difficult a real difficult thing to come to the knowledge of the truth but the question becomes this what are you going to do with truth Pilate was asked that question right well, what, what, now what are we going to do with this because you got to do something with it once you come to the knowledge of it the, the result of the message here in John 6 was the loss of most people that was following the Lord I didn't come to paint anything gray or dismal, but we're just looking at the reality of the word of God. They went back to their old life. They went back to their old way. And many of them went back to their old hopeless and helpless situations. But according to John 14 and 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. I think so adequately, Brother Woodward, in the message on Sunday, as he began in his opening comments talking about the way. That's a pretty exclusionary statement. I am the way. He didn't say, I am a door, but I am the door. Amen. So Jesus is the way, and they would not walk with him. Because you see, it wasn't just about seeing, but it's about learning. And we must be very, very careful. And I just feel tonight, if I could describe how I feel in my spirit, it would be like the watchman on the wall that is sounding an alarm that says we got to be very, very careful that we understand that we love grace, but grace and truth come in a package. Moses brought the law, but Jesus Christ brought grace. But he didn't just come with grace. He brought truth. And he began to share with them the truth. And I am, I'm telling you tonight that it was not an exclusive order. I believe that every one of those that ate a piece of bread or every one of those that ate a morsel of fish could have walked with the way because he was just teaching. It was no surprise to the Lord, I really believe in my heart, when people started walking away because he knows all things. And so Jesus so boldly looked at his own 12 disciples and said, will you go also? It's a pretty tough meeting, don't you think? Jesus is teaching. 
if I could just kind of put it in a contemporary setting while he's teaching people just get up and start walking out. And we've had a few, few people get up and walk out tonight, but that's not why they got up and walked out. <laughs> or at least I know that's not why some of them got up and walked out. I hope I'm not educated after church about that. Um, the crowd just starts getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And thinner. After a while, it's just Jesus and 12. If you'll just pardon my carnality, I'm not sure I would have been as courageous, Brother Kenny, as Jesus said, well, you going to go to? I mean, it's done whittled down. <laughs> Barely enough to have a marshmallow roast. And he says, you going to go to? Thank God. Thank God. Simon Peter was in the crowd. He said, Lord, to whom else would we go? You know why he could say that? Because he had been taught. What will keep you in the storm? I'm going to tell you something. And, and I, I, I know I've sounded like I'm against miracles and things. I'm, I'm not. Nothing could be further from the truth. But sometimes we think if God were just to come in and heal everybody that's sick, that that would just fix every ill, I promise you. That, that through the years, at least in my tenure, God only knows in the history of this single church how many people have walked through the doors and God has miraculously healed them and they've never walked back in. So it won't be a miracle that will keep you. But I'll tell you what will keep you driving in on Wednesday. And I'll tell you what I'm what I have in the back of your mind, if the Lord will, I'm gonna be back here Sunday. Amen. It's when we open ourselves to not just grace, but truth. And you know what? We've got a relationship with truth. That's why I came tonight. I didn't just come because I was preaching. I came because I've got a relationship with truth. Where else can we go? Simon Peter, he got it. He got it. He knew what Jesus was speaking about. Amen. He knew when he was talking about the flesh and the blood. He knew. He understood. He's not talking about flesh and blood. He was one of the several people who declared their belief in the Son of God. The preaching of the word always, always, hear me, leads to the sifting of the heart of a listener. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do when God begins to deal with you. I'm not alone here tonight. I'm not the only one that's been reading my Bible and the Lord reveals something to me about a scripture. I gotta do something with that now. I can't, you know, I can't just put my fingers in my ears and start singing la, 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 la. I gotta do something with that now. I've gotta do something with that now. Amen, I'm not alone when I've been telling you that when I, we've been in an audience of preaching and somebody was preaching and the word of God, either uh, through the preaching of the word of God or just the Lord and moving in that spirit begin to open our eyes to something and we got convicted about something. Is it all right just to say that? Amen, we got convicted. You're gonna have to, what are you gonna do with that? We gotta do something with that. I can't go home and pretend that didn't happen. I can't go home and we felt that hand of God reaching out to draw us just a little bit closer and when God begins to draw us closer grace and truth starts working in our life we've got to do something with that you've got to do something with that amen I want to ask you to stand musicians you can just stay I, 
Through the preaching of the word, God always sifts, sifts. My mother, uh, like many if not most of her sisters, was very good at making homemade biscuits. My mom owned a, <clears throat> for years a sifter. And I, I can maybe describe this and some of you be, if you can understand what I'm saying, you're probably old. <laughs> Won't hurt your feelings. There's a little metal, looked like, you know, made like a, Oversized can had a screen in the bottom and a little thing you turned it. Some of y'all are old. You're really old. Really old. And you dip down in that flour and it, it all looks bright. And you start sifting. And you'll discover some lumps there you knew nothing about. And you've got to do something with that now. I never, ever watched my mom just dump that back in the pot. Because you got to do something with what's been sifted to the top. Grace and truth. I feel like that the Lord, I feel like the Lord, the Word of God, the Spirit of God has us at a very strategic place. And we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do about some things. Because the word of God sifts. Amen. The word of God sifts. Praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to go back all the way back to my text and this is it. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We most certainly need the grace of God. I would hate to think about waking up one day of my life without God's grace. Amen. But it's going to take truth to save me and truth to keep me. Because I can get to heaven blind. I could get to heaven lame. Amen. He said, if your hand, pluck it off, cut it off. If your eye, cut it off, pluck it out. I mean, you know, that all sounds radical. We've got to have the law of God, the word of God, the truth of God. Amen. Amen. I want us to just pray. And ask the Lord to help us. I, I'm going to trust the Lord now. I, I feel like I, I feel so similar to how I felt last Wednesday night. I've done all I know to do. Amen. But I just lay this word in our heart. I lay it in my lap. I lay it in my heart. And I'm asking you tonight, in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you let the word that we have held in our hands, that we have beheld with our eyes, that we have considered with our mind, and hopefully that we have allowed our spirit to be impacted by Help us today, God, to understand how desperately you want to bring truth into our heart, into our home, into our lives. And I pray, oh God, that we will not just get caught up in the signs, the miracles, and wonders, and what you can do for me or what you can do for us as a church. But I want to fall in love with you in the name of the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, 
please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.